We've all been there, in the middle of a job, everything going smoothly, until boom, you're missing a part. United Refrigeration is your one-stop shop for all your refrigeration needs. Use your computer or smartphone to go to www.uri.com at any time of day or night to check stock on your favorite brands, such as Copeland, Sporlin, Carlisle Compressors, Danfoss, Emerson CPC Boards and Sensors, Carell, Hussman Parts, and Ketotherm. United Refrigeration Inc. is home to these brands and many more. Looking for information on refrigerant conversions or refrigerant banking? Quick access links on the homepage can get you to the information you need. All approved accounts are able to see live to the minute inventory and pricing. Product not in stock at your local branch? No problem. Use the nearby stock feature to find a local branch that does have what you need. Are you looking for a branch address, phone number, or after hours number? That's all available as well. Just click on the branch locator and search for your local branch. Have a model number and looking for a replacement part? www.uri.com forward slash ARP has a vast list of quick pick replacement parts. Just search for the model number of the equipment you're working on and click the replacement parts tab. If you don't have an account, click the register button and we'll have you online in no time. With more than 400 locations in North America, each United Refrigeration branch is fully stocked for immediate pickup. Our branch employees have in-depth technical knowledge so we can help you get what you need when you need it. Visit your local store or www.uri.com forward slash ARP today. United Refrigeration Inc. has all your solutions down cold. The Sporland Division of Parker Hannifin Corporation is sponsoring this podcast. Sporland is the leading manufacturer of HVAC and R components. Using quality materials and craftsmanship, Sporland maintains a commitment to innovation, manufacturing excellence, service, and support for its customers since 1934. The company is known for its catch-all filter dryers, thermostatic expansion valves, solenoid valves, pressure regulating valves, suction filters, electric valves, controllers, supermarket monitoring solutions, chemicals, smart service tools, ZoomLock Max Press to Connect, and ZoomLock Push, Push to Connect Refrigerant Fittings. If folks want to learn more, what do they do? Uh, you can go to Sporland.com. I guess that's Jim and John for Sporland signing off. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Compass, and we're flying solo today, so we're going to go over something that's uh, I've been doing a lot lately, and that's uh, EMS conversions. So I'm going to go over some tips and tricks and uh, things that I've learned along the way to kind of make these jobs go a little smoother and as less stressful as possible. I mean, they're always stressful, it seems like, but to try to make it as less stressful as possible. So with that being said, guys, here we go. We're going to dive right into it. So first first off, I like to do a real thorough like site walk when I'm bidding these. Like I am like more thorough than usually what the scope of work says. 
I mean, you want to go through this entire store, you know, top to bottom, look at everything. I'm looking at mechanical things. I'm looking at the controls. I'm looking at what I'm going to uh, change to, say, if I'm going from Emerson to Danfoss or Danfoss to Emerson or Emerson to Microthermal or Comtrol to something. I'm looking at everything. I'm looking at the cabinets that I have that are provided that I have. Can I fit the number of boards I have to fit in there? Can I fit the number of power supplies and boards if it has to be in a train like Microthermal or Danfoss where it's all, all together in one train? Am I going to be able to fit that in the actual physical cabinet? So what I'll do is when I'm quoting these, I will you know, write down all the measurements of the boards. Like I'll have the Danfoss boards all laid out and the microthermal boards all laid out, like what the measurements are. So if I'm going in here, I can look at a cabinet and be like, okay, it has this many inputs and this many outputs. How long does the board tray need to be? Am I gonna be able to am I gonna be able to fit it? Where <coughs> microthermal, it this is very, very important because you can't extend a, a board train. You can't have another just another circuit control train or another, we can have a circuit control train. You can't have another like suction group control train if you can't fit all the boards on there. So it is very important that like you need to lay that out to see if you need a cabinet because a, a cabinet is a big expense on a job. I mean, a 24 by 24 like good cabinet or 36 by 36 cabinet may be a couple hundred bucks. And now you got to build that cabinet so that's more money and more time. So what I like to do when I'm walking these is I'll measure out everything that I can to figure out what I can fit in these cabinets. With Danfoss, it's a little bit easier because obviously you can just have a second board train. It's just I.O. boards. Nothing is has a processor in it. So it's a little easier on that side. You know, I'll go through and, okay, do I need two board trains? Am I going to have enough height in order to get everything in there and work and, you know, make it look neat? Or do I have to have another panel? I, I'm trying to avoid having to put a panel in. I It never looks as good, and it's a lot more work to add a panel. So even if i got to move some stuff around, move some transformers around, move some uh, cable tray around, I will to, to make everything work. Now the next thing I'm looking at is how short are all the wires? Like are all my output wires going to be short, and it's going to become a problem because that adds a bunch of time and some of that can be pre-prepped up. Now, what I've been doing is if it's not a rack where I could easily just take the wire and, you know, take it off the terminal block and then put a new wire on and mark both ends, that's what I'm doing. But if I can't do that, say it's a it's an older rack and that wire runs all the way down to the compressor, instead of pulling all that out, that, that's, a, that's a ton of time. That's a ton of labor, and most of the time the customer isn't going to pay for it. I don't splice the wires. I don't use butt splices. I don't use wire nuts. I only splice wires in two ways in the rack, and that is with crimp connectors and with terminal blocks. I have been using the crap out of terminal blocks lately. Uh, Amazon, you could buy a pack of like 200 uh, 35-millimeter din rail terminal blocks for like 20 bucks. So I have blue ones, red ones, orange ones, green ones, black ones, white ones. I have all kinds of different terminal blocks. So what I will do 
is I will take and say if it's all like compressor wires, I'll take and I'll make all the compressor wires blue and then all those terminal blocks are blue and then say I have circuit wires, I'll make all the circuit wires red and I'll feed them in there and I'll make all the commons black. So I'll go red, black, red, black, red, black. So that way you could easily see what where the circuit starts and stops. Now I've been doing this, it's a lot easier and if you have to splice these in a terminal block, it's more professional, it's the proper way to do it. And the other nice thing about this is, is some of this you can pre-wire. So you can pre-wire one side of the terminal blocks all the way to the boards and then just swap over your systems as you go. So that, in a sense, makes it a little bit faster. I've had to do that a lot of microthermal stores where I know that I'm going to be short and I had to fit the board train somewhere else. I will get a terminal block set. I will pre-wire all the boards. I'll maybe pull some CPC boards down or, or Danfoss boards down away. I'll mount my board train up there. I'll pre-pull the wires and I'll put them in the terminal blocks. And then all I do is grab the loads off of the old boards and then switch them over one by one seamlessly. That way I don't have to sit there and, you know, fight everything. I just pre-wire the terminal blocks. Everything's pre-marked and nice and neat on the one side. And all I got to do is worry about the load going into the terminal block and then marking those wires. It's a, it's a lot less stressful to do it that way if you have to. I don't prefer that. I prefer to you know, obviously land it on the board. Nice. But obviously if the wires are going to be short, I don't want to wire nut them. I'm absolutely against butt splices. I think they look terrible. And I would much rather see it on a terminal block if you can. If you could take it down to a terminal block, like a Husman rack where they have all the terminal blocks down there, that's great. I will On the Husman racks, I just pull the wire out, I put a new wire in the terminal block, and then I rerun it up to the board. It's nice and easy. It takes a couple minutes longer a wire, but, you know, the overall looks really good. Now, the other thing I'm doing is I'm getting 16-gauge wire, which is kind of a pain to find. Usually got to go to a, a electrical supply house to get it. I'm getting 16-gauge wire, and if I can find it, it's the Superflex wire, which is like what Hussman and Hill Phoenix use, that real, like, movable wire. I use 16-gauge for everything in the rack for the controls. It's way easier to work with. It doesn't fill the, uh, the cable tray up as much. It doesn't put as much stress on the boards as you're like you know getting all these wires in there and you're starting to you know run everything in there it doesn't put as much stress on the uh, form c contacts of the boards so it's a lot easier the next tip i use i've been using phoenix connectors <sighs> what a phoenix connector is 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 it's a crimp with a shoulder that goes over the top of the wire and crimps down in a square now what this does is this does two things it alleviates any excess wire on the bottom of the wire sticking out past the board and nothing's going to short or touch to another wire. And the second thing it does is it gives that board point a nice solid metal to grip against. And it's a lot easier to screw it down tight and get a good tight feeling and it's not going to slip out because you're going to crimp it. I have... Uh, 16 gauge ones, 14 gauge ones, 12 gauge ones, 22 gauge ones. I keep all these in my in a packout tray, and I have it all separated. 
and for what I'm doing. If I'm doing the rack switchovers, I'm going to have a bunch of 16-gauge ones. I just had the little uh, tray out of a pack out sitting there inside the rack, and there's a special tool for this. There's a, a crimp tool. It looks like a four-jaw crimper, and you just crimp it, ratchet it right away. It's really seamless, and then it looks real nice because now all the terminal blocks, these Phoenix ones, fit right in there nice. You don't got to cut them. Everything's in there. It's all uniformed. It looks real good. There's no wires sticking out the bottom. There's no wires that are stripped a little too too much or too little. Everything is in there nice and seamlessly. Now, when you go through and do these, you know, you give them a little tug test and make sure they're good. And then I will either heat shrink labels on there. I get the I'll get the labels depending on how tight the job is. Or it's getting wrap labels. Now, I, I generally label both sides of every wire. Or I will label the wire where it goes into the uh, the common, or sorry, the normally open or normally closed. I usually don't label the commons. I mean, usually one label is good enough. If it's compressor contactor or, or compressor one or, you know, circuit or defrost or refrigeration, it, one label is generally enough. You don't usually need to do two labels. I mean, Sometimes it gets a little hectic in there with all the labeling. Uh, the heat shrink labels are really nice because obviously it looks real good and you know it gives you that extra per, you know protection to heat shrinking it. So those are nice. But the Phoenix connectors overall, the last like five jobs I've done, I've done them all on there and like I did like three jobs out of one bag of Phoenix connectors. There's like a th uh, a thousand of them in there. So I mean they last for forever. I mean it's like eighteen dollars for a pack of them. I mean, I use them on service. The other, the other th nice thing is, so say if you got like two 16-gauge wires, well, you get a number 12 Phoenix connector, you could shove both wires up under the shoulder and crimp them like Hill Phoenix does in all their racks. It's the same connectors that they're using to like double up wires. So it looks way nicer when you go to do it. It looks more professional. So I use those. Now, anytime I got to double up, on inputs so like if I'm using like a 12 or 5 volt to feed transducers I'll use the Phoenix connectors on there I'll shove them all in like a, a 16 gauge uh, Phoenix connector and I'll crimp that down and uh, I'll crimp that down and use that to uh, connect to the uh, board so that way I'm not you know trying to shove five different wires in one uh, board connection so I have been using the Phoenix connectors slowly on the 22-2s. Uh, I started to on the last job. It just takes like a minute or two longer, but it looks a lot better. I haven't noticed any problems with uh, you know readings off or anything because, I mean, you're, cr you're still crimping down on that wire. Now, another thing that is like crucial for these jobs is a good EMS screwdriver and having backups. I'm terrible about losing these. I always keep backups. So I like the Klein six-inch screwdrivers. Six-inch eighth, they're eighth-inch slotted screwdriver with a six-inch shank on it. So then it's like, and then a four-inch handle. So it's like almost 10, 11 inches, give or take. And then the end twists. So basically... It's a real comfortable screwdriver. I mean, people think it's ridiculous, but like when you're doing, you know, a couple hundred terminals a day, I mean, having that nice screwdriver that you can you could twist real easy, 
or you know it's longer so you're not having to get your face in there or you're getting back i i love those screwdrivers they're awesome klein makes the the, the best the control screwdriver you could buy for that they're hard to find right now i just had to buy like six of them off ebay and uh i mean they're only 10 bucks a piece but they're like vital like i'll usually go through one or two a job Huala, i think it's called they're out of like germany we bought two sets of their insulated screwdrivers their eighth inch ones real nice tool uh it's a little short though it's only it's only eight inches total instead of like close to 12 so that that's where it kind of or no it's seven inches total instead of uh close to like 10 or 11 it it's it's not as comfortable. It's a nice screwdriver. It's insulated. If they made a longer one, that'd be great. Second thing that is like crucial is it speeds up so much time. Nipex scissors. Nipex makes electrician scissors. They are the best thing out there. I use them for everything. Cutting wire, stripping wire, uh, cutting zip ties. These things are great. They will cut your finger off in a second. They are so sharp. So you got to be careful with them, but like, Stripping out control wires, it's all I use is these Nipex scissors. Or stripping out uh, wires on uh, the even 14s and 12s and 16s and 10s. Because all you do is nick the outside of the wire and it pulls right off. It's so sharp, it'll cut the sheathing on the wire instantly. Same thing with like uh, cutting shielded cable to get the outside to get to the uh, wrapping. You can instantly like make a nice little like groove in there if you're careful. Once you get used to like the, the scissors... You'll pop that thing right off, and then you could cut away the shield, and it also cut the uh, the white pull string. So it's super easy with that. Like those electrician scissors, I I'll go through them. Like they do get dull. Like every couple jobs, I'll buy a new set. Like I probably got like three or four of these EMS jobs out of one set of scissors. They're twenty six bucks. They're consumables. I buy them on the job. They're part of the job. I put them in the bid. I mean, all my guys have them. Like they're super sharp. They're it's a great tool. Now, for like stripping com cables. So, I like to com cables or shielded cables. What I'll do is I'll either tape or heat shrink the ends. I prefer heat shrink. It looks better. But electrical tape in 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 a nutshell will work just as good. I mean, heat shrink looks a little better. And then I'll label the ends. So I'll trim them out, and then I'll heat shrink them, and then label the ends. Or if I'm using the heat shrink labels, that's two birds with one stone. I prefer the heat shrink labels. And then I just use a heat gun, or I have, if I'm doing a whole panel, I'll just get a 120-volt heat gun, and I'll keep it running. And then that way I, I'll just clamp it to the side of the panel, and that way I can stick the wire by it. And, you know, every time I'm getting ready to finish one, I just stick it by it, and then it automatically heat shrinks it. It makes that side of it a lot easier. Now, as you're going through and you're, say you're doing, you know, sensor poles, you got to look at sensor poles. This is where I struggle a little bit. I usually bring in the electricians. Um, I personally try not to pull wire. I don't want to pull wire. It's not usually productive for me to pull wire because I don't do it all the time, so I'm not that fast at it. But the other sense is I could be doing something else while an electrician is pulling wire. Now, do I pull wire? Yes, I have to all the time. 
So just when you're pulling wire, the biggest thing is, is do your prep work first. Figure out your route. Figure out your route. Figure out where you're going to put your pull strings, your, your um, not pull strings, your uh, eyelets. You know, put all your eyelets up. And while you're putting your eyelets up, run a pull string through while you're doing it. You know, as you're, as you're running like a line, you're going to, you're going to put eyelets up. Put your pull string through if you're going to do a bunch of them. Try to figure out as many cases as you're going to pull at the same time. So say if you're going through, you got to put a bunch of temp sensors in, and you're going to pass by a bunch of cases. Start at the, the farthest cases first and pull those first. And then as you're going by, pick up more cases or pick up more things. This is where I struggled in the beginning a little bit, and you want to try to pick as, up as many things as on a pull as you can. Shielded cable is usually generally pretty cheap, so even if you got like two or three extra boxes than you needed and were pulling more, I mean, you're going to, the labor outweighs the shielded cable. So say if I got to do, you know, like 30 pulls and if I could do, you know, 10 boxes at a time and pick up all those as I'm going and just, I'll just put the box by the case and then I'll run them over and I can pull them all at once. If I could pull those at once and I could get them all done in a day, then rather like two days of, you know, starting and stopping and pulling wire and getting everything in, I save a ton of labor there. Now, that that's labor on these jobs usually costs more than material besides the, the boards and stuff like that. But like the actual like wire and stuff is generally cheaper. So just, you know, keep that in mind, like lay your routes out, like, Generally, I'll try to do it when I bid a job, but then, I mean, sometimes these jobs go like three or four months before they get awarded or like started. So I usually try to keep notes. I in my iPad, I keep everything in on a notepad, and I write down all my notes in there for the job. How many hours I think it's going to take? How many hours I you know bid for each item? Um, discrepancies. You know, I'll take some pictures. I use a, an app called Site Out at Pro when I do my commissionings, and I also use it for doing bids. I'll take pictures of like stuff. So like I'll take pictures of his air handler I got to redo. Okay, here's the air handler, and then I'll write down all the measurements in it and whether I think it boards will fit or not. And then I'll go through and okay, I got to do this many cases need sensors. Here's the route I want to take. I'll mark out the routes with arrows and where I think the, the stringers need to go up and then how many hours I think it's going to take. So I'll go through and I'll try to do that to try to be way more organized with it. So that way I could do the, the groundwork in the beginning. So when we do get on the job, it's not like, which I generally still end up having to take, you know, like half a day to a day to get myself, you know, you know, all organized and like set up, okay, we're going to do this this day, this this day, here's our goals for this. I mean, I still end up wasting some of that time, but I waste less with having all of this within pictures and pre-measured and a game plan to go. Now, the thing is when like I'm going through and I'm starting these, the first day I'll usually show up with all the material, I will get tables and I will set them up in the rack room or wherever I can, sometimes a break room, I will set up a, a table or two, and I'll put all the material on there, okay? All the boards, all the uh, analog output boards, all the analog input boards, all the RO boards, 
all the comm modules. I'll put them all in there. I'll inventory them, make sure I have them all. All the temp sensors, all the power supplies. I'll get everything in a row. So that way when we're, we're doing this stuff, and we're just grabbing boards, we're just, you know, grabbing here, boom, 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 boom. You know, that way we're just grabbing the boxes we need. We know exactly where they are. We don't got to look. It's, okay, this whole line is comm modules. This whole line is input boards. This whole line is output boards. This whole line is 0 to 200 transistors. This one's all 0 to 500 transistors. So we get just grab. You know, you'd be a little organized. It may take you, like, three or four hours to set it up and inventory it. But, like, that way you know, okay, like, Boom, I'm going to need five boards over here, five boards over there. I could start setting all this up and getting everything ready. If I'm doing DIN rail, uh, I generally just grab it off of Amazon. It's You could buy a pack of 25 three-meter long DIN rails for like dirt cheap, and I will generally just cut it with a bandsaw. I just bring up a little M12 bandsaw up there, and we just cut our DIN rail to whatever we need it, and... Then we'll slap it in with some uh, Phillips head self-tappers. I generally use the Phillips head self-tappers because the 5 sixteenths every once in a while will, will hit on the bottom of the DIN rail, the boards, and or the terminal blocks. So I'll use the flat pan head 5 16 or not 5 16 the self, uh, Phillips head self-tappers. They work out great. I'll go buy a bunch of Phillips bits, extended Phillips bits for the guys. So when we're doing it, we could easily lay it out. And then when I'm laying it out, if I'm doing a whole big panel, I'll use a laser. It's a lot easier just to lay, get the laser level and then lay out the panel, put the DIN rail in, you set it up, boom, shoot it in, shoot the screws in. You don't got to mess with a whole bunch of stuff. You just move the laser and then shoot the screws again and then lay out the panel. You know, put your boards in, get everything powered up, get the comm on, and then if it's microthermal, what I'll generally do is I'll put the boards in, get them powered up, I'll get the program dumped in them the day before, and I'll disable all the transistor alarms, all the open sensor alarms, so that way it's going to see all these all these sensors are open, but what you could do in the meantime is, with like microthermal is, with the 700 boards, you could dump the program into it. You can get it ready. You could get it all online because it could take about two, two, two hours to dump that program in there, depending on how big it is. So you get it all ready. So the next day, all you got to do is start laying stuff on it. So what I'll do, the first thing I'll do is I'll take like two or three compressors, land them on there, you know, get them, you know, half running on Emerson or half running on microthermal. And then once I feel like I got like, decent control over it like it's I'm half and half I'll have the second guy working with me switch the transistors over discharge transducer suction transducer and I'll let the new system whether it be Emerson microthermal Danfoss I'll let that start controlling everything and then I'll start taking more compressors off of the other system the old system and I'll switch it over once I get past the halfway mark I usually switch the transducers over and then I'll start switching all the rest of the wires over Hey guys, today's episode is sponsored by Westermeyer Industries Serviceable Oil Floats. Many oil separators contain an oil float to effectively meter separated oil back to the compressors. Westermeyer Industries has taken this concept and perfected it. With their new line of serviceable oil floats, these floats feature an improved design 
with fewer components, allowing for greater manufacturer consistency and up to 20% increased oil flow versus their legacy models. These floats also feature an integrated magnet to shield the oil path from debris and have been field proven in supermarket applications. Westmire Industries offer replacement oil floats not only for their own separators, but also cross-compatible models for our competitor oil separators as well. You can find out more about the Westermeyer Industries serviceable oil floats by visiting westermeyerind.com backslash floats. Once again, that's westermeyerind.com slash float. Let's get on with the episode. Now, as I'm flowing through, I'm kind of making, you know, sense, making sure I'm not tangling wires up, making sure that everything's going through, you know, cable tray that looks, you know, looks good. Or if I'm using zip ties, making sure everything's going through zip ties and everything looks clean and it's not tangled up because nothing's worse than having to do this and like realizing, oh shit, I have to untangle all these wires or like, oh man, I have a wire that's two inches short and it's like on an angle and it looks like crap compared to the other ones. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. Now, the other thing is make sure that your landing is on the right terminals. Make sure that like if it's normally closed, it needs to be normally closed. If it's normally open, it's normally open. Generally, I'll put that in the bottom of the, uh, the label. Like if I'm doing it, it'll be like compressor one NC. Like the second line will be like NC normally closed or NO normally open off, whatever one I pull it off of. I try to keep the board points as similar as I can to what was there. So like if it's, so for example, if it's Emerson that was in there before and it had an 8RO board. So I'll keep it 1 through 8 on that board will be 1 through 8 on there on the actual like retrofit board. So if it's, you know, board one, one through eight, it'll be one through eight on the, on the Danfoss board. It may not be board one. It may be board two, but it'll be one through eight. <clears throat> I try to keep it all the same. Now where it gets difficult with microthermal is only certain loads can go on certain boards. So you really got to plan this out. So you may have to, flip-flop stuff around. I don't like using the, the combo boards with microthermal, the four, four output, eight input boards. I don't like using those because they eat up too much room in the panel. So I'll generally go with one input board in the suction train and then a bunch of output boards in order to like kind of try to save space. But that, it's all dependent on the panel. I mean, everything with these retrofits depends on the room you have to work with and the amount and the customer spec. So generally what I'm doing with, like I could usually move wires around and I'll tag them. But at the end of the job, I'll make a wire diagram and I'll make a point list. The great thing about like microthermal is you could print the point list out for the board. So it'll print out, it'll have a PDF that it'll generate for each board that you could go in there, save it, and print it, and it has every single output and input on the on that board train. Great. I laminate them. I stick them in the panel, and I, I tape them with uh, shipping tape to the uh, panel. I tape with shipping tape because people could see it still, and it's a bitch to get off, so nobody's going to take it. 
Now, with Dan Foss, I'm still kind of learning that. I think you could you could print out the board points. So, what I, I'll do the same thing with that. Emerson, what I'll do is I'll copy all the points down in Ultrasight, and I'll either screenshot them or I'll copy them all, drop them in a Word file, and then I will take those and I will laminate them. So that way you have a point list and a legend list. It makes everything a lot easier. Now with Dan Foss, make sure if you're going to do this, you take the time. Like I'm doing one a job right now, and I'm, I'm slowly starting to do it. I'll put the relay states. So if it's normally open, normally closed, you need to put that on there because Dan Foss doesn't have fail safe switches. So you got to put that, that relay state on there, whether it's normally open, normally closed. That, that's a big thing. So if somebody has to reprogram this or if they're trying to troubleshoot it, they're trying to know what it does. That's a that's a huge thing. With CPC, when I'm doing it, I will also put the dip switch state, whether it's up or down. So the, that way you have that in there when you're making these uh, when you're making these point diagrams. The other thing is mark your com wires in and out every single board. As soon as you land them on the board, mark where it came from and where it's going to. It'll make your life a whole lot easier in the next guy to troubleshoot it. And then when you're done with it is make a map of the comm. Like I'm trying this uh, eDraw Max. I'm going to try to do this uh, comm map and eDraw Max. So basically I could you know show the Dan Foss boards and show where it goes to, where it comes from, where it goes to, where it comes from. So that way... If you have a big store like microthermal, it's 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 key. Without it, with microthermal, it's a pain because you can't test voltages for com. So splitting up the com network on microthermal is a pain. So you need to know that map and needs to be accurate to where it needs to go. The other thing is when we're talking about com stuff is following their the customer spec for what wire you need to use and the way it runs, and then the manufacturer spec also. So try to keep the com wires away from 460. I mean, try to keep them away from the 120 volt control. I know it's hard. You got to pick your routes the best you can. Try not to run over bat or alongside ballast. It's a retrofit. It's hard to do. I mean, just try your best to you know keep it as you know away from you as you can. Don't strap it to conduit that's got 460 in it or 208 because it's going to pick up noise. You could actually pick up voltage on that cable running running next to that conduit through through that shield. It'll pick up voltage from that con from that conduit run. So that's another thing is that you know spend time and you know make sure you you pick your routes and try not to run it you know buy anything ground your shields if if you have that much noise and then make a nice map of everything. And just lay out how you're going to do it. Like if you're doing uh, stores and you're con converting multiple controllers into one controller, that's a whole other like, thing. You need to plan out your comm loop because you don't want to start with the first controller and be like, oh, now i got a star here. I'm going to have to have a star when you know you're going to have to run a comm line where you could have just you know, ran two comm lines out and spliced it in the middle of the network. So that's one thing you guys need to really pay attention to is, how you're going to do these? Are you going to, are you going from four controllers to one controller? They're going from you'll know, say four Comtrol controllers to one Emerson controller. 
Well, now you got to lay out your comm lines. You may have to pull some wire before you start this in order to not end up with stars. You don't want stars. The only the only con, the only control system you want stars is microthermal. So you may have to take a you know a day to like lay out and you know pre-pull some comm lines so that way you you could pick up all these controllers without having to you know massively backpedal. That backpedaling time ends up costing more time on the job than anything. So in repulling wire that that's uh, that it was a hard lesson for me to learn is the the repulling of wire or like not laying out these comm lines or not thinking ahead enough to say okay I'm done with this rack well now I got to do this rack and the rack after well what am I gonna do for my comm line now because I, it's gonna be a star and then I end up having to pull another line all the way back to the controller which ends up you know costing more time and if you're running these jobs is like the last hour of the day I will try and set up tomorrow. So like the last hour of the day I'll I'll make sure everybody else on the job is, you know, got a task still. And then the next I'm planning out the next day for all these guys. Okay, we're going to we're going to do a rack. We're going to you you know, this guy's going to finish this and this guy's going to start on, you know, this stuff on a rack and do the circuits and we're all going to work together. I refuse to do these without a second guy. It's a lot easier. Like generally, I'll have one guy, you know, putting board points in, and then I'll be doing like the wiring switch over. That way they learn the, the programming side of it. And then I could do the, the wiring switch over and it's a lot easier. And then I kind of enjoy the doing the wiring. So what I do, and this is all dependent on the site, but like with microthermal, I do this every single time. And it hasn't failed me yet, and I like the way to do it. So what I'll do is I'll call out board points as I'm wiring stuff. So I will not pre-program all the board points. I'll pre-program everything into where I, all I have to do is assign points. I will call out board points what, when, I, when I'm finishing this. So like I'll do call out compressor 1 is really 1-1, one, one, one. Uh, compressor 2 is relay 1-2, Compressor three is really one four. I'll tell like the next four, and then like he'll pop them in there, and then he'll also be doing programming for other stuff, or like you know finish linking stuff to circuits, or finish linking uh, case programming, or he's doing make sure the alarm programming is all done. He's doing that while I'm doing the switchover. Yeah, it's not as as efficient, but it works fairly well. And then I'm calling out the points, and there is no like okay, this wire's too short. Uh, what now? Now we got to move points around and all this stuff. It's okay. This wire's going to be short. It'll reach point eight. Well, now that goes on point eight. I call out point eight. You know, instead of instead of having to go on point three, you know, it's not as clean. But you know what? There's less time wasted on it, and it's all the factory wiring still. There's no splices, and to me, that that's less less room for failure. So that part of it is the way I do it with MT. With Emerson, I can move the relays wherever I want, so it's a lot more flexible. Danfoss, too. I've been programming a lot of the Danfoss stuff, if it all makes sense and I have room. Now, second thing is when you're doing programming, is so you don't waste a bunch of time having to go back and clean it all up. 
make sure your naming and labeling is to the customer spec and the alarms are to the customer spec before you, you know, go through and do it all again. Take the time. Yeah, I'll try to, I used to try to rush through programming the controller, get a base program in, then I'll, I'll, I'll tweak it later. Well, I spend more time going back and, you know, tweaking things and adjusting things. And with Dan Foss, if you don't hit everything, everything won't be in a row. So, like, say if you had air handler 1, 2, and 3, and then rooftop, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Okay, well, so say there was another air handler that was added that you didn't know about and you had to add it. Well, now you can't make it air handler one, two, three, four. You have to delete the first rooftop and make that an air handler four and then redo the whole program from the, the, the way down. I don't have a ton of Danfoss experience and I just had this happen to me and it cost me like six hours of moving board points and naming. And yeah, do I think it's stupid? Extremely, but it, uh, it took me a long time and to make it look good because I mean it was all unorganized with Emerson everything's alphabetic easy peasy you can move it all you just move your uh, your naming around and everything's good with microthermal you could drag and drop move stuff around you're kind of like canned on that side of it but it's movable it's more fixable and more nameable so just take the time in the beginning and just do the whole program all the way through Customer spec for the alarms, make sure that's good, and then test everything when you're done. I do not leave for the day until we test everything we switched over, whether it's compressors, on loaders, circuits, make sure they go into defrost, make sure the hot gas works, make sure all that works, make sure condenser fans cycle, make sure they ramp up and down. Everything we do, we test before we leave. I don't want the service department there to have to deal with it. I don't want somebody, you know, to come on my job and, you know, we have panels all ripped apart and they have no idea what's going on. They have no idea what, what any of this stuff is. So I test diligently before we leave. Every case gets thrown in defrost. I make sure the defrost differential valves work. You know, we make sure the pump outs work. We make sure everything, you know, functions the way it should. We do a quick function test on it. Now, after we're done with the changeover, we do commissioning, meaning like we're going to go through and make sure every temp sensor is tied to the right case, to the right relays, meaning like if it's uh, AO1, when it goes in defrost, the temp sensors rise up, they come back down. I diligently check all of those against each other, make sure we're not cycling on temperature. And if we are, we need to adjust EPRs. I mean, that's not really part of this job, but you know, part of it is making sure everything works properly and is commissioned properly. So you don't want this finger pointing game like you don't want the service contractor saying, hey, you did a shit job and, uh, you know, we have all these issues and you want to you want to have as little issues as you can. But you're going to find stuff. You're going to find compressors wired wrong. You're going to find cases with four defrost a day for 45 minutes for hot gas. You're going to find issues that were hidden. You're going to find all this stuff. Now, just work your way through it, and, I mean, you're going to have to make work orders and stuff. It needs to get fixed. I mean, you're, if you're adding temp sensors and stuff, you're going to start finding stuff. I mean, we just found a case the other day where the lights were shutting off. And it's been like that for probably 10 years. Nobody noticed it because the store was closed. By the time they got there, the lights cycled back on. 
No temp sensor in the case. Nobody noticed it. The case has been getting warm for however long it's been installed. They swapped the lights and the fans. So the lighting contactor was controlling the fans, and nobody noticed it. Been going on for years, and nobody noticed it. So stuff like that's going to pop up. That's where that commissioning is key. And then alarm management. You want to make sure all your alarms are you know programmed, all your transistors are good, all your high-pressure and high-priority alarms are programmed, so that way you're not getting stuck with a bunch of food and, you know, if something goes down. I mean, you're moving a ton of wiring around in here, you're going to have issues. Just be diligent before you wrap up for the day. Every switch gets checked. You know, make sure everything's at temp. Make sure, you know, there's not compressors banging on and off. Make sure condenser fans are working. You know, be very diligent before you leave the building. I mean, you don't want to leave a bunch of stuff down and then somebody ends up there or you end up with a product loss. I mean, that's an easy way to tank one of these jobs is, you know, a product loss or, you know, having the service department come out a bunch of times because, you know, you're forgetting to turn stuff back on. You're, you know, you move some wiring around and you lost a common. Uh, I mean, let's be honest. Some of these racks are on their second or third retrofit. So, I mean, you're going to have times where you move a wire and it kills something else. So just be very diligent about that and make sure that, you know, you're, you're doing it properly. One last thing is uh, hot gas guys or electric defrost. You should be using two relays. You should be using a refrigeration relay and you should be using a defrost relay. Now, the way this should be set up is the normally open of the refrigeration relay should feed the common of the defrost relay. So that way, refrigeration has to be off and defrost has to be on in order for defrost to work. The reason this needs to be this way is you don't want the hot gas solenoid or the contactor to be able to energize with the refrigeration on because if it's hot gas, it's going to allow it's going to allow that hot gas right back into the suction header. So if somebody forced a relay, if somebody uh, flipped a, a dip switch or flipped the HOA switch. Now they're allowing that defrost gas, you know, to you'll seep in there, that contactor to be on, and you're going to end up overheating compressors. So that is a safety, basically. It's an interlock wire. So refrigeration, it gets wired normally closed. The common of the defrost relay gets fed to your normally open of your refrigeration relay, and that's what, you know, powers defrost. I pre-wire all these. So I'll go through and I'll make jumpers with the Phoenix connectors on there and I'll jump normally open to common, normally open to common, normally open to common to each one. So that way I don't have to do that when I'm doing it. I don't have to pull the jumpers on the old stuff because 90% of the stuff is wired that way. I don't have to pull any of the jumpers out. All I got to do is land my common on the refrigeration relay, my normally close the refrigeration relay, and my defrost wire on there. All I got to do is land those. Easy peasy. It's a lot easier. That little you know bit of prep work on the on the jumpers saves a whole bunch of time. Same thing with uh, rooftop units or air handlers. Say you got you know cool one, heat one, you know cool two, heat two. I'll pre make the jumpers on there because generally we're just controlling the you know thermostat inputs. 
So I'll pre-make the jumpers on all the boards. So if we're doing, say, rooftops for, you know, two days, I'll pre-jump the commons all together. So that way all my guys got to do is grab the board, throw it in there, and wire up the, you know, Y1, Y2, W1, W2, and then the fan proof if we have it. It makes it makes that part of it a lot easier. It makes it so you could fly through the rooftops and, you know, get that stuff done a lot more quick quickly than you would be sitting there and pulling every single wire out and doing it all in the field. Like right now we're doing it in the wintertime, so it's colder. So just having that all pre-done and pre-prepped up in the den rail pre-cut and everything pre-ready to go, you know, it may you may have filler time at the end of the days where everything's done. You're not going to start another project. Say it's, you know, 1 o'clock and you guys leave at 2. You're going to start another project. Start prepping rooftop boards or start prepping rack boards get them ready so that way when you go to the changeover everything's there i will have everything set up and set out for that like i'm doing a rack all the boards are set there i'll have the boards for the compressors the boards for the circuits all that pre-made up din rail cut if it's din rail mounted if it's emerson stuff i'll it'll all be pre-mounted i try to pre-mount everything the day before and then that way I just leave the boards hanging loose. If you're doing Emerson stuff, the pink foam they send with it is great to wrap board the old boards in and hang them. Uh, zip ties, if you're doing CPC to something else like microthermal, I generally will shoot a, shoot a hole in the back of the, uh, the plastic trays and I will hold it up with zip ties to uh, the panel or I'll shoot a, a screw in the ceiling and I'll use zip ties to hold up the boards. Works great. Comtrol is an absolute disaster joke because the boards are sideways. They already shorten that in that like metal frame as it is. So you're gonna want to wrap them in you know cardboard or foam or something so that way you could just pull the wires out when you need to and then move them and that way they're not shorting. I generally will leave them hanging and I'll do a board at a time, board at a time, till I like get them all out and then I'll cut the comm lines out of the way and then you know go forward with that. But I generally try to do one board at a time and I will try to keep it as you know organized as I can. Emerson's like really cake, like I said, because the boards have that plastic backing on the back and you don't have to be as careful. Like the Comtrol ones are bare. Or the old Emerson stuff's bare. That that's a pain. Dan Foss, same thing. It's it's really easy. You could leave the boards hanging. They are 100% protected on the back. Like nothing's gonna short. So those ones are easy. So that that makes for an easy switch over. Microthermal. The older stuff's like Emerson. So it's got the plastic backing. Same thing. I'll hang them loose, and then I'll switch them over. I mean the 700 boards. I don't know why you'd be switching anything over from a you know, 700, but yeah, it's, it's a hundred percent sealed like a Dan Foss board in the back. So guys, that was, uh, my quick tips on, uh, what was it quick? It was pretty long on doing EMS conversions and what to look for when you're bidding them and how to lay them out. And we'll go more depth into this on bidding them on the next one. After I get a couple more of these under my belt, I feel a little more confident about it. So, all right, guys, have a nice one.